So in the series that we've called uh, The Road to the Cross, <clears throat> I've been uh, talking about uh, a couple of different road trips that either I've taken or Marcy and I or our family have taken together. You see, on the road to the cross, Jesus, uh, he had one important stop to make on his road trip. He left home, he came to earth, he went to Jerusalem, he had his sight set on Jerusalem that he might go to the cross and then he returned home. He's now at the right hand of the Father. And, uh, and on this way, there's some important stops that he made. So um, are you up for another road trip story? So um, last summer, uh, Marcy and I decided to do a motorcycle road trip, a trip through the Kootenays. We took uh, five days, four nights uh, to ride in the area. So um, it was a trip that could have gone horribly wrong had it not been for a fellow motorcyclist whom God put in the right place at the right time. So the first day we made it as far as Castlegar and that was sort of our, our hub as we rode all over the place, uh, you know, down to Trail and then over to Creston, up the lakes and then up to Caslo, New Denver, rode around that whole area several times and then made our way back up to Nacusp and then Needles Ferry, Vernon and home. It was a wonderful trip. But on our second day, we left our hotel in Castlegar and we did the Kootenay Pass, which is quite a climb. And as you're uh, coming down the pass, it's just a nice, long, winding road, you know, the two of us, no traffic. We went in the, in the height of wildfire season, which was not the greatest views, but it was a blessing because there was nobody on the road. Nobody wanted to be out there, so it was great motorcycle riding. So I popped it into sixth gear, and we're just, uh, you know, idling our way down the mountain, doing quite a good speed. I won't say how fast, but it was, it was fun. It was good. Get to Creston, had coffee, and then we continue north uh, following Kootenay Lake, and we stopped at the Glass House. Everybody, anyone heard of the Glass House, this sort of tourist uh, destination? Go look it up now if you don't know what it is. But it's a wonderful little place. We actually went by it, and, we, and I said, hey, there's that Glass House, because Marcy had mentioned something about it before we left. And so we, we circled back and went, did the tour, and when we were finishing, or we were still up on the hill doing the tour, and the, the uh, tour guide said to us, there's a... There's a group of motorcyclists uh, down there and there's a guy waiting to talk to you. And we said, yeah, well, we know that because we met them on our way in and they were just sort of hanging out and we were chatting and we were like, well, what, what further could he possibly want? So we come down and the guy said, I, I hate to rain on your holiday, but I think it's just come to an end. I'm like, what? He said, I was stretching my legs, went for a walk on the shoulder of the road, parking lot was gravel. And he said, I'm walking along and I see this sort of flash of white underneath your bike. The fender comes down quite low. And he said, well, maybe it's just dust. So he went onto the tire and went like this. He goes, oh no, there was white threads hanging off the tire. And I, I just shivers went through my body knowing what could have happened earlier that day. And he says, you can't ride like this. And I go, yeah, I agree. So... The next steps, um, up, well, up to that point, it was miraculous that we made it to that point. It was a God-sent person that told us the problem, and everything else uh, to that point was absolutely the hand of God, and so miraculous. We, we rode at a very low speed, thankfully, made it to the Kootenay Bay Ferry, and then on the other side, motorcycle dealer from Nelson picked us up and completely looked after us and got us on our way again. <clears throat> and... Uh, and, and we praised God for those uh, events 
Um, <clears throat> now you're probably thinking, well, you shouldn't have left home in that condition to begin with, right? <laughs> Trust me, I did the walk around on the motorcycle and I knew my tire was getting low, but when you get to that last part and, the, and it's 43, 44 degrees outside and you're doing this the whole trip, that rubber doesn't last very long. And so um, we praise God for his hand of deliverance that day on our road trip. And you know what? The road to the cross is a road that must be met with praise and thanksgiving and gratitude because God sent someone. He sent someone at just the right time and that someone whose name is Jesus intervened by going to the cross and averting great disaster and danger and tragedy along the way. And, this, and on the road to the cross, when he encountered those 10 lepers that we just heard about in the reading, it was a foreshadowing of a greater cleansing and healing that would take place on the cross, that place where disaster was averted and where we are saved. It's an important story to show God's divine intervention in our lives to avert great disaster and tragedy. So let's take a little closer look at this, uh, at this story, this part of Jesus' road trip. We see, first of all, that these 10 lepers were separated from the rest of society by their sickness. They were separated. So verses 11 through 13, on the way to Jerusalem, so he's, he's on this road trip, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Okay, so here's the setting. He's between, he's between uh, Samaria and Galilee. So Jesus was born in Galilee, right? He's from Nazareth in, in Galilee in that region. It's in the north of Israel. And Jerusalem is in the south, and uh, it's in the, in the territory of Judah. There's this big gap in between, and that is the region of Samaria. And so you've got his, the people that he's familiar with, his hometown where he grew up on one side of him, and you've got foreigners on the other side who were considered, they were a group of people whom the Israelites would go out of their way to, um, to avoid. They would walk around Samaria because these two groups didn't get along very well. But this group of lepers, these 10, they were mixed. Because you see, disease does not discriminate. It affects everyone. And here's this no man's land of total isolation and separation where these 10 are continually crying out, unclean, unclean. And when they see Jesus, they cried out in the same voice, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So to understand this a little bit better, we have to go to the Old Testament, to the book of Leviticus. And we're gonna look at certain passages in chapters 13 and 14. But in Leviticus 13, 45 to 46, it says this. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out. By the way, covering your upper lip over your mouth I think it's to keep communicable diseases from spreading. I think it was the first mask these guys were wearing. And they're to cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. 
So when we think about this story and how it relates to the cross and what we're looking at this season of Lent and Easter, our sin is what separates us from a holy God. This condition, this sickness, this disease affects everyone because sin does not discriminate. We're all born into sin. We have a sin nature. Isaiah said this. He prophesied a long time ago. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And, and Paul wrote to the Roman church, he said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no difference. There's no difference. All of us are separated from a holy God because of our unclean condition. Isaiah 59, one and two, he wrote this, behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And the result of this, we see it right from the beginning, our sins separating us from God. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they went to hide. They wanted to remove themselves from God. They were separated. There was this barrier between them and God, and God eventually banished them from the garden. And Paul said the result of that, the, the wages, the payment of our sin, the, the consequence is death, eternal separation. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. There's this eternal separation. Ernie Charlton, one of the elders at Central, preached here from this pulpit last week, and he talked about that place of eternal separation. He talked about hell, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, utter darkness. Revelation describes hell as a lake of fire and other places a place of torment. And the Lord said to Moses way back in the day, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. There is separation because of our sinful condition. It separates us from God and it separates us from each other. And listen, it is into that space. It is into this no man's land that Jesus journeys to bridge the chasm that separates us from God and we from one another. He walks into that space between Galilee and Samaria where we are all the same. We're all the same. It doesn't matter what our last name is. It doesn't matter what social or economic status we have, whether we're rich or poor, whether we're famous or nobody knows our name at all. We are all the same. And we're all separated and live in isolation in that space where Jesus meets us. Where sickness and the enmity of death and hatred exists, he came to bring cleansing and reconciliation and restoration and fellowship. But not all people turn to him. Some limit themselves, secondly, to what we see in the text next, a skin-deep solution. It's just surface, superficial. Verse 14, when, they saw, when he saw them, when Jesus saw these lepers, they're crying out, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. So a miraculous healing occurred here. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. 
So let's go back to Leviticus 13 and 14 for a moment. So in Leviticus 13, you have all these laws about leprosy. And it was the priests who had to monitor and confirm the state of people with skin diseases, communicable diseases. Are they clean? Are they unclean? And he had to examine them. And uh, the priests, I, I think, were kind of like the first doctors, you know, in working in public health. <laughs> I mean, there is nobody else. You go see the priest. Am I good to go or not? And, and when it was determined, when the priest determined that, yes, this sickness has left your body, and there was indications that the leprosy was no longer there, he would declare you clean. But that didn't mean that you were good to go yet. So in Leviticus 14, there's laws now about... Uh, rich, rituals that had to be formed to complete the cleansing of one who was deemed clean by the priest. So, <clears throat> so when a leper was declared clean, then this had to happen. He, the priest had to meet them outside the camp where they were, examine them again to see if any infection remained, and verify. Then, um, then the priest would take two birds that were brought by the person who had been sick, We're listening to another Bible reading, I think. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Just threw me for a bit. <laughs> okay, so then the leper had to bring two birds. And he had to kill one and dip the other bird, the live bird, in the blood of the dead bird. He had to sprinkle the leper with the dead bird's blood. And then he had to let the, the bloody live bird go free. Okay? Then the leper needed to take a bath and shave off his or her, her hair, and then the leper was clean, but the process wasn't over yet. The ex-leper then had to come back into the camp, but it was, it was progressive. They couldn't immediately go back into their tent. They had to now live in the community, but outside their tent for another week. <laughs> then, at the end of that week, they had to shave off all their hair, and they had to go further this time and shave off their eyebrows. And then they had to have another bath and wash their clothes but the process isn't over quite yet. Then they had to bring two male lambs and one female lamb, some flour and some oil. So the priest would kill one of the lambs and take the blood of that lamb and put some of the blood on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe. Then he did the same with the oil. He would sprinkle some oil seven times, and then he would put some of the oil on the leper's right earlobe, on his right thumb or hers, and the right big toe. Then he would take the rest of the oil and just dump it all over his head. <laughs> then the priest would offer a sin offering, killing another one of the lambs as an offering for sin. And then the priest would kill the final lamb and offer it as a burnt offering before the Lord. And then the leper was officially clean. Now, we must remember that these laws were given by God. Jesus, being God, had to uphold the law. He didn't come to abolish it, but fulfill it. So he couldn't dismiss the law. And what he had to do was tell these guys to follow these, these rituals for cleansing. So the nine who continued to the temple to follow the law, what was required, and do these rituals, they did no wrong, but they missed the most important part of this whole encounter, which wasn't really about 
physical cleansing, but about Jesus being the fulfillment of the law, the one who came to cleanse, forgive, heal, and remedy the greatest problem that we have, that is our sin and the separation that it causes between us and a holy God. And so these nine turn their back on Jesus to follow the law and fulfill the righteous requirements, the legal requirements, which, which wasn't wrong, but the leper did what was better. And he turned back to Jesus and he turned his back on legalism which is what repentance is all about. Heading in one direction, turning around and facing God and saying, I want to go your way. He turned back to Jesus and he did what was better and he recognized that healing went so far beyond his skin and he recognized Jesus for who he was, the great high priest who came to fulfill the law and to bring true cleansing and healing from sin. Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law and the healing of the nine was limited to the law and not fully realized in Christ. It was only skin deep. It was superficial. And listen, the Apostle Paul picks up on this again in that passage where it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin separates us and he puts it in the context of the law. Listen to Romans 3. None is righteous, no, not one. We're, we're all the same. We're all sinners. We, it separates us from God. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We're all lepers. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. You see, this is the purpose of the law. It holds us accountable because the law shows us how sinful we are. Without law, there's no sin. How can there be if, if there's no stop sign? You go through it, you're not doing anything wrong. There's no stop sign there. But when you put it in place and you go through it, then you've done something wrong. That's the law. For by works of the law, no human being, verse 20, will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And that one leper recognized that. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, through what he did on the cross, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It is by the blood of the lamb that we are the true lamb, the lamb that came from God, that we are cleansed. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We need to get this, friends. The law, good works, do not save. They cannot save. It's skin deep the things that we try to do to remedy our problems. So, um, several weeks ago, in fact, about a month ago, February 11th, there was an article that came into my inbox from the New York Times, 
and it caught my eye, and there's certain ones that I just keep for a while, and it's, I figured this is a good time to talk about this. The, the, the title of the article was this, Did a Psychedelic Drug Save Their Marriage? And I went, what? So I didn't read the whole article, but this is how it goes. After 10 years of marriage, they were ready to call it quits. Taking MDMA, the illegal psychedelic drug, which is also known as ecstasy or molly, was a last resort. It ended up being the only thing that worked. I'm like, really? What is that article going to say a year from now? My money says that marriage is over. You're going to add drug addiction to a problem marriage? Well, that's going to help. It's amazing what people turn to to try to solve their problems, to remedy the situation. There's a lot of good things we try. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's many things that provide a solution for a period of time, maybe even until Jesus returns. But it's not the true solution for the condition that plagues the entire human race, the healing of our sin nature. And anything apart from Christ will fail. We need Christ to grip our hearts. We need the blood of the true lamb to wash us and cleanse us, to bring us to repentance, to make amends, even as Christ made amends with us at the cross, to make amends with one another, to humble ourselves, to apologize, to say, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? This marriage is horrible because of me. My life is going off the rails because I have not submitted myself to the master. Yes, there's other things that help, but they're superficial solutions. Galatians, Paul wrote to the church in the region of Galatia, but, but far be it from me to boast in anything. And that was, he was talking specifically in that context about circumcision. People thought they had to do this to be made right with God, to be righteous, to have a right standing before God. And Paul said, but far be it from me to boast in anything, in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If we want to give up sinful ways of living, we have to be crucified to Christ. And that's why what's most important is what happens next in the story. Number three, we see a full submission to the Savior. Verse 15, then one of them who saw that he was healed turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. In these concluding couple of verses here, there's three things that happen as this one leper, one out of 10, which ought to tell you something about the condition of our world. 90% of people out there are in desperate need of the Savior. 
ought to make us look at our world differently when we leave here at noon. Nine people out of the ten walking around out there need Christ. And there's three things that we learn in, this, in these final verses. We see praise, we see prostration, and we see a pronouncement. This is so beautiful. Praise with a loud voice, with a loud voice. He praised God. The same voice that once called for all to hear, unclean, unclean, and begged Jesus for mercy is now praising Jesus for his healing. Two different words. Two different Greek words in this text. They, would, they were required by law to shout unclean, unclean. In verse 13, it literally means to speak loudly, to cry out, to shout. But in verse 15, when he had been healed and he came back and with a loud voice praised God, it is a different word and it means such a terrible intensity, a loud intensity. It was another whole level that he came back to praise his master. And then we see prostration. He, he came back to praise God and he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus. Fully prostrate on the ground, full out, flat on his face at the feet of Jesus. Earlier on, verse 13, all 10 of them lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, but only one proved his submission to the master by actually returning and falling on his face. Jesus talked about this earlier in Matthew. He said, you know, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, master, ruler, king, not everybody who says that to me will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. And this man tangibly expressed his faith and submission to the master by falling at his feet. Without our actions, our faith is dead. I forgot to mention, by the way, earlier, John, you're such a tangible guy. Whenever there's a need and faith needs to be expressed in action, you do something. And so you didn't bring it back, make, make borschnot bombs just because of a t-shirt. <laughs> This is a special run, by the way, of his menu apparel business that he's not doing anymore, but this money is all going to relief effort in Ukraine. Through MCC again? Yeah. That's the heart of this guy. He takes his faith seriously and he does something. He says, like, let's, let's do something. I'm not in Ukraine, but I can do something. I can make an awesome t-shirt that I'm going to wear proudly. I almost wore it for preaching today. I should have, maybe. Will we prove our submission with our actions, not our words? But our words are still important. In fact, the entry point to faith is acknowledging verbally Jesus. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and he's master, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is a, with the heart that one believes and is justified. It is a, with the mouth that one confesses and, and is saved. And then we fall at his feet in worship. And the final phrase, sentence in this text is the pronouncement by Jesus. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. 
Three different words in this text for the healing this man experienced. One is the word cleansing. Hey, did you notice it in the text? The word cleansed is used twice, the word healed is used once, and then the word made well is used once. Three different words. He was cleansed, katharizo. It means to be purified, to make clean, to be washed. Then there was healed. Iomai, to cure, to make well, to renew. His skin was made new. But the word well, your faith has made you well, is the word sozo, which means salvation. And salvation means to be rescued, to be healed, and to be made whole. To be saved from death and be kept alive. Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. In the media context, the word sozo, because it can be interpreted two ways. One is a physical being kept alive, rescued, delivered from a disease. The other, though, is an eternal salvation, to be delivered from eternal death and brought to life in Christ. In the immediate context, it does refer to the leper being kept alive and spared from physical death, but because the word sozo is used here specifically, and because it's the only one that refers to rescue from eternal death, it is the only word of the three that includes salvation in the eternal sense, which is only possible when we fall in submission at Jesus' feet. So as we wrap up here this morning, I just have a question, maybe a few. Will you fully submit to the Savior, to the Master, and be saved? And what is that going to look like in your life? In Luke 19, a couple of chapters later, Jesus meets a man named Zacchaeus, calls him down. He was a wee man. <laughs> and uh, said, I'm going to eat at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus was saved by Jesus that day. Salvation has come to this house, Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know what it looked like for Zacchaeus? His tangible expression of submission to the master was he had embezzled and defrauded and shafted a whole bunch of people out of money. And he said, you know what, I'm going to repay him back and I'm going to pay him back more than I took. And Jesus says, you're saved. I can see it. I can see that my words have changed your life. And Jesus is still in that business. He is still seeking and he is still saving those who are lost, who are unrighteous, who are unclean. And if you've never submitted your life to Jesus this morning for salvation, would you do that? Would you submit to him? You see, my role today is to be like that guy walking on the shoulder of the road who looked underneath the fender and pointed out the danger and said, hey, you gotta take care of this or there's gonna be disaster. And there's a remedy. Trust Christ for your, hands, for your cleansing to be made well and avert disaster in your life. 
1 John 1, verse 1, 8 and 9 says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed, cleansed, made well, saved. And so to end this service, we're going to celebrate communion, at, at the, which replicates the Last Supper, what Jesus did just before he went to the cross to remedy our sin. If you have trusted Christ for your salvation, for your wellness, that you've been made whole, complete, healed, this is for you to join in because this is symbolic of the healing that we have found, that we have received in Christ, that he has made us righteous, not apart from the works of the law. In Christ, we have our righteousness. This is what the blood, the, the, the juice and the wafer, the bread represents the blood and the body of Christ. But if you have never submitted your life to Christ, You've never trusted Christ. You've never confessed Christ. I want you to take a moment as we prepare to receive communion in the quietness of your heart to confess Jesus as your master. Submit to him in your heart. Believe that he died for your sin and was raised to life to give you newness of life and eternal life. And then your sign of submission will be to fall at his feet this morning and partake in communion with us because it's a table that's open to everybody who call Jesus master. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he lists a bunch of specific sins and there's two other passages in scripture that does that. I tell you, when I look at that list, I go, oh my goodness. Apart from Christ, I'm not gonna inherit the kingdom of God, I'm not going to heaven because I've done a bunch of those things. In fact, we all have. Paul said, and such, of, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. This is certainly something to praise God for, right? Will we turn our back on the things that we think will save us and we will, we will we turn to Christ and praise him and fall prostrate before him, submit to him, and to hear him make the wonderful pronouncement over us, over us rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Will we do that today? Cody, come on up. If you've trusted Christ, oh, does, such good news. D disaster has been averted. You know, Romans says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And you know, um, I, I was reflecting on communion a little bit, and my mind went, uh, of all things, to 1 Corinthians 10. And uh, 1 Corinthians 10 is quite a passage. And Paul in, 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 the, in that text, 
he, he, he talks, he frames communion in the context of idolatry of all things. And he said, flee from idolatry. After giving a, a lesson in Israel's history, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And then he said, consider the people of Israel. They came to the altar with mixed motives, and they weren't truly coming to drink from Christ, the rock. And he pointed back to their history after they were delivered from Egypt, and they wandered in the wilderness. They drank from the rock, remember that? And Paul said, that rock was Christ. And one of the forms of idolatry that they participated in while drinking from Christ was grumbling. Not giving praise, not being thankful for Christ's provision. And it says, nor grumbling as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Let's come before God with praise and thanksgiving like that one leper did. Psalm 95, it's on the screen. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I will give you thanks, for you answered me. You have become my salvation. God is enthroned in our praises. He loves it when we praise him in response to what he's done for us. And I thought, before we take communion today, let's sing the doxology. Can we do that? And let's stand together and do that. Cody, lead us. Let's do this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Amen. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. So peel back that very first top layer and just expose the wafer. And after blessing it and broke it, he, he... After blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Father, we bless you. We bless this bread which represents your brokenness, that you were wounded so that we could be healed. We praise you. We turn back to face you, Lord Jesus, and we submit ourselves to you, Master, and we say thank you for your healing work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake. Then it says he took a cup. So just peel back the foil. 
And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. So Father, we say thanks for the cup. We say thank you for the forgiveness, for the cleansing, the purification, the forgiveness that you've given to us because you went to the cross. Lord, may we humbly in our hearts bow before you, fall flat on our faces at your feet and declare you our master, our ruler, our king, the only one to whom all glory and power and authority belongs because you are the lamb who was slain. You saved us. Thank you for the pronouncement over us to rise and go our way because our faith has made us whole, healed, saved, delivered. And as we think about this, we think about the nine who didn't turn back. We think about the people that we're gonna encounter even this afternoon as we leave this building. People who need you, who are lost without the Redeemer, the Savior. So we pray for our community. We pray for those in our families, amongst our friends who don't know you, who have never submitted to Jesus. We pray for them that they would do so. Help us to be faithful, to show them the right way. We say thanks for this cup in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake.